I'm really happy for you. I'm let you finish. Welcome to On and Five. I'm Anton Ryder. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm joined by two guys that uh, you may or may not know by now. Mr. Ethan Bonin. Hello, it's me, Ethan Bonin. I'm here. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling the best I have in 24 hours. How are you feeling, you, Tony? I'm feeling good. You took some uh, medica- medical meth, right? Isn't that what I, I mean, heard? Yeah, you can make meth with this stuff. It's fine. Good yeah. for you. And you. Uh, well, I hope that yeah, I hope that you're really lively for this show with all the n- not meth you're taking. Not and the, meth. And on the other side of the state, we've got Itchy Toes Austin Thomas. Hey, man. <laughs> what up, gangsta? <laughs> <laughs> gangsta. I'm so as, excited for this unit. That's as close to Ebonics as we're getting this episode. Yeah, yeah we're going yeah, we'll <laughs> to we're gonna walk a fine line. We know yeah, we're only saying <laughs> lyrics. That are safe. <laughs> We're gonna jump over one specific word. <laughs> that was as said much a as lot. Eight times in our book. <laughs> it said it a lot. Oh <sighs> yes, yes. For today's episode, we are going to be dealing with um, a man that is much more than just a musician. He is a an entrepreneur, an inventor, um, a movie star, a television star, a video game star, the eternal and, businessman. Oh, he hustles every day, We're chasing about, that dollar. We're talking about Mr. JFK himself, 50 Cent. (laughs) Fiddy! Curtis Jackson. Curtis Jackson. This guy is super interesting. I I mean, I'm not saying anything new here. I'm not not saying anything no one knows, but this guy is so fucking real. (laughs) He's hard. He's so hard. And he works so hard. (laughs) He works so hard for so long. Everybody knows that, and I just need to restate it up top. He was literally born into shit. And then just lived in shit until he was like twenty five, yeah, something like didn't that. Take like, no shit is what he didn't he, do. That's right. Yeah, he, learned to he, take no shit real young. Let me tell you, many men, many 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 <laughs> men did wish death upon him. But guess what? Uh, he don't cry no more. He don't, he cry don't no look more. to the sky no more because they're all basically dead and he ain't many fucking men that's right many many fucking men yes so we are dealing with 50 cent and i'm gonna be straight with you guys up front right at the top of the episode this episode is going to deal so little with music yeah this is we like talk none we, like we zero just gotta, almost yeah we gotta talk about yeah. the build-up to him yeah because to do music <laughs> Yes. So his music um, wasn't in his sights at all for the longest no, time. For a long time, not one bit. Yep. Yeah, it, it wasn't. And then all at once, it was ex- all that he was doing. Yep. It's kind of crazy how quickly he turned around. But yes. Yeah, so this whole episode, probably the last ten minutes, is when we'll actually talk about music, and the rest of it is not going to be deal- dealing with music at all. But it so is it's, compelling. It's very compelling. It's a very and, fun and it, story, and it makes a lot of sense as to why Fifty Cent is the way he is well, right he, now. This is what I was excited for because obviously I like everyone knows the story. He was shot nine times, but I didn't know like the actual story behind all of it, and it's yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, kind of the build up to it and stuff like that. So um, let's get into it. First of all. We read the book Pieces to Wait by 50 Cent with the help of Chris X, who also narrates the audiobook. And I listened to it on YouTube, and apparently it's narrated by someone different on YouTube. I had J.D. Williams reading to me, so, you know. Way to credit, credit our 
content creators. You got to You yeah, got to You always always credit your artists. Yeah, that's right. He Fifty Cent also helped write a book called The Fiftieth Law um, with a man named Robert Greene, and that book is um, interesting. Not about Fifty Cent really at all. It's like a, <laughs> a self help book about being fearless and stuff like that. So it's worth a read, but it is not worth a read if you want to read exactly about Fifty Cent's life growing up. But really if you do want to read about that. Uh, read Pieces to Wait by 50 Cent because it's super good. I enjoyed it very much. I think we could all say that, right, guys? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a very good book. No, it's very... great. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> You're on your own. Hey, I've listened to it like really three times now. To dry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was yeah. listening at work as well, and it was yeah. quite entertaining. Very compelling, yes. So um, let's let's get into the story, shall we? Yeah, let's shall. Let's do it. So, Curtis James Jackson III was born on July 6th, 1975 in South Jamaica, Queens. He lived with his grandparents who moved from South Carolina to South Jamaica before he was born. This borough is often referred to as Southside, um, which is kind of what you hear in a lot of popular rap songs. It's like Southside. This is just one of them that deals with it. And South Jamaica was like, it was home to a lot of fairly big rappers um, around this time. So, like, he kind of bumped shoulders with a lot of famous names and stuff growing like up. Like Ja Rule. Ja Rule. <laughs> ja Rule, his best friend. Awesome actor, Ja Rule. <laughs> yeah. I think Ja actor Rule is just, like, rapper. the knockoff 50 Cent. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, he's the less hard, less successful. He gets made I quite mean, a fool of in our story here. Yes, he oh, does. yes, he does. <laughs> One of them tried to make Fire Festival and then backed out immediately. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Ja Rule is a... You know what? He didn't, he didn't get penalized for it, so uh, good for him. That's right. Yeah, you got it. He walked off scot-free. Yeah, like, he's yep, fine. Like he acted like he was a victim in it, which is wonderful. <laughs> I think um, he believed that, to be honest, from, uh, from his statements. He did. Probably thought that when he caught his 50 cents hands, too. Yeah, <laughs> yep. So, um, Curtis's grandparents moved from South Carolina before he was born, like I said, and they raised nine kids there. Curtis got his name from his grandfather, who was also named Curtis Jackson, and then his uncle was named Curtis Jackson II. But everyone called his uncle Star and him Boo Boo. They said that there was only one Curtis Jackson. It's so funny to hear how often he's called Boo Boo in his story, like by all these hard, hard men. Yeah. Just call yeah. him Boo Boo. <laughs> Boo Boo. <laughs> yep. His nickname is Boo Boo to everyone. <laughs> I kind of love it. Curtis was born to a teenage drug dealer mother and named Sabrina and an absent father. He never knew his father. He actually asked his mother who his dad was, and she told him that he was conceived from immaculate conception. So, Quite you know. the jokester mom. Yeah. <laughs> Quite the jokester <laughs> mom. Really fucking funny. So South South Jamaica was a predominantly black neighborhood that was riddled with gang activity and drug dealing. His mother was very involved in drug dealing and made quite a name for herself. She loved her son, but she was very busy dealing drugs, mainly weed and cocaine at the time. She raised him to be tough and not take shit from anyone. He said when he was five years old, he got in a fight with a kid that was much bigger than him and came running home crying. His mom told him to get back out there and fight this kid, and whether he won or lost, he wasn't coming back in the house crying. So he went back out and picked up a rock, 
she literally told him to grab something and hit him with it if he was going to lose. And that's exactly what he did. He hit the kid with the rock and knocked him out. He was five years old at Mom this time. Mom is hard as nails. Oh, my yeah. God. She wasn't even mad that he got beat up. She was mad he was crying. Yeah, she's yeah. like, you don't come back to the house crying. Jesus. She was like, you take your beating and you come home, but you don't come home crying. Five-year-olds Ooh. are a little sociopaths. Yeah. So, like, giving you a rock to a five-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Not even known. <laughs> five-year-olds are so scary. And, th- and his mom was just they like, go kill horrifying. him. <laughs> yes, yep. That's what she said. <laughs> That's I mean, do. yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But hey, she's I'm, not, I'm here, to, she's not here to claim her side of it, so it's fine. Um, but but she only wanted to raise him to be tough because South Jamaica was a very tough place. You wouldn't survive if you were soft. But she would bring him gifts every time she could, like a dirt bike uh, that he would drive next to her on her full-size dirt bike. He was pretty sure that his mom got this dirt bike from a person that she had done a deal with and they didn't pay up for the drugs. Like she stole it or he used yeah, like the bike as a she payment? she took it in collateral for not paying for drugs. That's good. That's just – yeah. That's just basic economics, you know? Yep. You pay with what you have. It's simple. Um, By the time he was six, he had an idea that his mom was a drug dealer and a tough one at that. So he would observe his uncles and aunts throwing backyard parties where they would charge a dollar for people to come in and party with them. And that's where he got his first real taste of marketing and sales. But he also got to see the power that hip-hop had on people. So he, like was paying attention to them coming in and paying, but, like, he realized that when there were slower songs playing, like, he, they would just kind of stand around. But as soon as, like, a, a sweet hip-hop song came on, then they would all start dancing and stuff like that. So he realized that at, even at six years old, he realized uh, how important music was to people. He also so, got money in his head at this point, too, because he was saying most of the people that would come to these parties were the people that were always hanging at their house anyway. So it was these people that were always at their house eating and hanging out but they were still paying to get in to their backyard and do the same thing yeah <laughs> just on so these like oh, random parties they're just paying money now. Yeah. like good to know yeah and then when he was seven he got a real taste of money when he hung out with his mom while she was dealing so he saw a bunch of people come and go from her apartment as she sold coke to clients so she would like get these huge stacks of cash and just hand these brown paper bags and then there was just a it's like a seven-year-old in the room with her. And it was, I'd feel uncomfortable if I was a client, but, you know. What do you no, mean? no, no. That kid <laughs> like give some to the kid. He or... knows what's going on. They get it. <laughs> like, that kid's not a snitch. Yeah, though, they know he's not sure. a snitch. They know that kid's hard. He's <laughs> not a fucking narc. <laughs> uh, he, so he started to learn about the drug game this early, and it really affected him with what his ambitions were. Around this time, he learned about a man named Big Tony who had recently been deemed the godfather in the area. He was a drug kingpin and ran the whole operation. Someone Curtis would soon be acquainted with as he would be in the game himself soon after his mom died when he was eight. Like four years soon. Curtis is going to be dealing drugs at 12. Yeah. This is my book. Not my book because I know it's like common, but it's just... Here in the story yeah. of a fam- very famous rapper. So if you remember, his mom would, like, bring him a bunch of gifts, like we said. Like, every, she would just bring him, like, random stuff, clothes, toys, things like that, and even just money. Like, just, here you go, here's some money. Yeah. And so when she, when, his, when 
she died, he basically, that was no longer an option. And his grandparents were raising nine kids. And so they had like no money. And so basically he was going to figure out the only way that he was going to survive or get anything he wanted was to drug deal. Cause that's the only thing you could do at 12 years old and on the street and stuff like that. So he went for it. Yep. Um, God. so at the time, at the time of his mother's death, his grandparents told Curtis that his mom had died in her sleep, which was technically correct. Um, what had actually happened is she had been murdered when somebody drugged her, closed all the windows in her apartment, and then turned on the gas stove and left, killing her either by asphyxiation or by a fire. So in the book and in interviews, it says that it was by asphyxiation or suffocation. Um, but then on the Wikipedia page, it says that she was died in a mysterious fire. So I don't know which one it was, but I did want to put out that that that, that was multiple there were two angles. I like it. Yeah, but yeah. this is like she must have been really in it because that's like she wasn't like shot down on the street or like stabbed or something. She someone came into her apartment, drugged super her, personal and way to kill her. someone. Yeah, extremely yeah, very, personal, very intimate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like slow. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not just like bang bang. It's you know you you know you're walking in to kill someone pretty well. over like a day. Like you're drugging someone out for a day yeah. so that they can suffocate. Yeah, yeah. She Oof. was she was a pretty big person. She's uh, Curtis said that he really appreciated seeing his mom because she was like really respected on the streets. Like yeah. she was treated as an equal as a woman, and so he was like he had a lot of respect for her, even though what she was doing was really shady and eventually led to her death. Yeah, so. That's how it goes. And after she died, Curtis was going to live with his grandparents full time. And this would be a struggle, like I said, as they had eight other kids to look after and money was tight. Um, His grandmother felt sorry for him, so she gave him extra love and affection, which in turn made all of his aunts and uncles really upset because they were also like kids themselves. And um, now this new kid was in getting more love and affection from their mom. So it was like very upsetting to them. So they would all ignore him and tell him to piss off anytime he wanted anything to do with them uh the youngest aunt even allegedly killed his dog by feeding the dog roach spray um and that is oh they did they they, yeah yeah (laughs) they did not like that there was this kid in here with them they didn't like that they had to share part of their pie and soon after his mom's death, he became uh, pretty rambunctious. He said he was just all over the place all the time. So they started medicating him with Ritalin anytime he was being out of line, which he hated. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally just threatening him with it. Like, yeah. if you don't yeah. calm down, we're going to give you Ritalin. And he's like, yep. all right, I'll calm down. Yeah. <laughs> okay, he I will. Hated how it how it oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, okay, I'll be calm. Yeah. You're so calm in the corner. I'll, I'll, I'll okay. be good. I'm going <laughs> to shut up. I'm going to be calm. <laughs> yep. Yep. With Ritalin. Now people sell it. It's fun. Yeah. Um, Great. It's cool. It's a yep. college fucking Friday night. <laughs> huh. uh, so around this time, he found a friend in a kid named Sincere. He would take Curtis shopping and buy him new shoes and clothes and whatever he wanted. He looked up to Sincere and Sincere made his money selling drugs, which is just another in that he saw as really the only option for him. Yep. He grew up around drug dealing and also people using drugs. His whole family snorted coke on the regular to the point where they would send Curtis, who was only like 10 at the time, to his cousin Brian's house to grab another gram of coke. Called with him money Fat Alberts. Him. Yep, $25 and you get a little, get a little Fat Albert. Yep. You got <laughs> hey, Fat Albert in a can? No. Well, you better... Uh-uh. Better, Did you snort him? Better get one. <laughs> you better snort him. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> 
So Sincere decided that Curtis should cut out Brian and Kurt and Sincere should sell to Curtis's family. They decided this because Brian's grandpa got kidnapped and held for ransom because uh, they I, th- I think that they had said some kid named Gary had opened his mouth about how much cash Brian had on him at all times. So they kidnapped his grandpa, shot him in the leg to get money out of Brian. It's and wild. when they were when yeah. they were coming in to Brian's house to grab him, I'm pretty sure they shot his mom in the head. Nice. Oh shit. Like I think they just like opened up and shot her in the head. I don't yeah. Remember so. that part. <sighs> Fuck. Rough. Yeah, that's uh, rough. God. Um, so, many so, yes. men. <laughs> Lots many, of many, 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 shots. many men. <laughs> Many men. This is going to be like P-I-M-P. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So Sincere gave Curtis a gram of Coke and told him to sell the Coke to his aunts and uncles whenever they wanted some. A gram was enough for five sales, and Sincere told Curtis to bring him back $100, and he would let Curtis keep the other $25. So it sold for $25, five hits, $125, you know. And just like that, Curtis was selling drugs, and he was 11 years old. He said when he got the gram, he uh, sorted it into five little packages, and then every time his uncles would ask him to go get some, he'd just go grab it out of his room and walk around the block to kill time and then come back (laughs) and sell it to him. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you you would think that, like... You could be like, I got it in two minutes. Like, I should get five extra dollars for this. Yeah, I got like, a hustle speed on delivery top of fee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, like, and Curtis said that, uh, like, when Sincere wanted him to start selling drugs, he was pretty, like, nervous about it and, like, thought maybe he was too young. And Sincere told him that the only people that are too young are six years old. That's exactly what he told him. Good. Six years old. advice. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wise, wise man. Yeah, wise no, no. Curtis man. Curtis should have, like, he should have done the thing where he, like, just ran and grabbed it, grabbed it as quick as he could and just been, like, the Jimmy Johns of drug dealing. Like, <laughs> yeah. his, his drug deals are freaky fast. Uh, I don't think fast. word of mouth is going to get him far when his only customers were his uncles. Well, I don't <laughs> freaky know. fast, yeah, depending crack. on how good. The, I mean, he's like, yeah, Mike. My nephew. Hey, tell you about is, my nephew. He's fast. <laughs> for some drugs. So, so he sold off the five hits in I think about a week or something like that, and then went to go get some more. And he kept doing this before expanding. He would go to school, then come home and sell coke around the block. His grandparents had no idea that he was selling, and he would tell them that he was just playing outside after school. Around this time, uh, there was a new drug on the street that had just come in called. Crack. And this is coming in like a wrecking ball. It's so bad for people of color. (laughs) I think it's bad for white people too. I mean, 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 well, because I know the argument you're making here, yeah. Because they started enacting laws that punished crack worse than coke because oh they, yeah they punished yeah because yeah. they punished crack harder like six times worse than powdered cocaine so well i say it later in the episode but like around yeah. this time too is when uh when reagan put in his like war on yeah. drugs and stuff like that so he cracked on on it super super hard so like and police started bes- being around the area a lot more yeah. and stuff and like mandatory minimums were starting to come in things yeah. like that so yeah it was like it was real bad because a lot of people got addicted to crack really hard real it, hard it, it made a lot of problems it for people, really, but... It really fucking caught on. It really did, bad. It did the exact opposite oh, for Mr. On. Jackson because he started selling it. So, um, for those of you who do not know what 
crack is. It is a spinoff of cocaine where it's made by mixing cocaine and baking soda together and then cooking it to create rocks. And then these rocks would be smoked and it would create a higher high than powdered cocaine. It was also cheaper since it was diluted with baking soda. It exploded into the market and it really helped out Curtis and Sincere, who is now Curtis's supplier. Because they're going to be able to, to stretch out how long they can make a a you know, kilo last with when they start cutting it. And uh, uh, crack highs are a lot shorter, too. So, so, they, so yep, the user come, will come back, come back faster. way faster. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they were, selling, they were selling crack a lot faster than they could sell cocaine. So Curtis was now buying $500 worth of crack every week and selling it off. He was selling one day when Brian, his cousin, came by and picked him up. He talked to him about selling and how important it was to save the money that he was making and not just blow it all because he was wearing all these super nice clothes and new shoes, everything like that. And this was a piece of advice that stuck with Curtis for a long time. The eternal businessman, always saving, always Save. moving forward. Money He's movement, got- money movement. <laughs> Video games, books, movies, songs, crack, all of it. He, <laughs> 50 Cent went bankrupt multiple times. Yeah, he does. Hey, man, so did our <laughs> but, president. But he does say, he does say whenever he goes bankrupt, he says that's a business move in itself. You just wipe the slate clean and start that's right. New. So I can never happen. Hey, when you have so many Genius. businesses, some of them are going to fail. Exactly. That's yep. correct. It's true. Yeah, you just you throw shit to the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, there you go. Hey, hey, I think it's working in the long run for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, So at this time, uh, they needed more product, so they started working with a Colombian man named Carlos, who he had met when Carlos was working with uh, Curtis's uncle Trevor, who was also in the drug world. Carlos and Trevor would talk a lot about soccer, which Curtis later found out was all code for drugs. Curtis would bring Carlos water and then sit in on their meetings. And um, Trevor eventually went to jail. And so Carlos got with Sincere. And Sincere learned to love soccer. And then he started working with Curtis. And Curtis also, guess what? Guess what he learned to do? Austin? What? He learned to love soccer. He did say he was the biggest soccer fan that never <laughs> saw a game. <laughs> he also yes, said he, he also said when Carlos and Trevor were sitting and talking and they were just talking about soccer, he was like, Yeah, it seems like when the teams are doing well, we're all doing really well. And he's yeah. like, I tried to watch <laughs> soccer and it was terrible. <laughs> I didn't get it for one minute. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So he started getting raw cocaine from Sincere, who got it from Carlos, and then cooking it into crack himself. And he was kindly taught how to cook by Sincere. And he passes this sage knowledge straight to the reader. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he all, exactly he how all to but tells crack. you how to measure out it. Yes, <laughs> he does. You know, he even yeah. gives you like one part to like two parts or something, yeah, which is easy to recreate. Two parts cocaine, one part baking soda. You got to whip it, it down, and then you can take yep. the excess out of the bottom of the pan. <laughs> make more. Then you double so your easy. product. You could make that over a lunch hour. You could do that so easy, huh? <laughs> That's just a five-minute craft. He breaks it down for you, so yeah. Uh, wow. Pieces to wait. Thanks, Go Fitty. Out. Get it. 
So, uh, yes, so him making the crack himself and then selling it allowed him to have a wider profit margin so he could sell more. After a while, Sincere hit a wall and started screwing over Curtis and Carlos. Like, his sales went down, and so he started raising the rates for everyone else to buy from him and things like that. So uh, they decided to just cut out Sincere out of the mix, and Carlos started selling directly to Curtis. He was selling him a kilo of gram at a time. 2.2 2.2 pounds. And I think <laughs> this goes for like two grand. Like think, it's pretty expensive. You said yeah. a kilo of gram at a time. <sighs> that doesn't even make sense if you think about it. So Carlos was selling Curtis a kilo of cocaine at a time. That is 2.2 pounds. Which I think is about $2,000 roughly. It may have been like <sighs> cheaper back then. It may have been more like 1000 But yeah, it was like like a, th- like a kilo probably every week or so. And um, Curtis at the time was 14 years old. He was moving <laughs> oh up God. and um, he was getting pretty close to like being directly under the Godfather. Pretty crazy. I was but after- probably so oh, nuts deep in my GameCube at this point. Oh, yeah. No, I was just, like, <laughs> trying to look up boobs on the yeah. internet. Like, yeah. Like, I was just, like, how to find, just, to find the like, animated Hillary ones. Duff's or... email. Exactly, yeah. Like, like waiting for my dial-up internet to show me, yeah. like, a pair of pixelated boobs. Like, yeah. this kid you guys was ever buying... have People PC online? That was great. People PC? What's that? Oh, it was dial-up, but worse somehow. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah. It was so bad. But after an incident where someone accused him of underpacking his vials, which he was selling shorted packages, but only because his Uncle Star had found his stash and had started pulling some off of the top. Of every single package, which equaled to 100 grams of Coke that he was lost, and then some extra, too. I think he said he was missing, like, an entire bag. Yeah, he said a bag was missing. (laughs) And so he decided at this point he was going to go confront his uncle about it, and he asked his uncle why he was in his room because he noticed that what he usually kept hidden was like his box was open like slightly and all the stuff was moved off of it. So he asked his uncle why he was in his room and his uncle was like, oh, I, was, I was just looking for a pen. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, like, his uncle like stood up and got in his face. And I think that his uncle actually pushed him on the ground and then he got up, grabbed a wooden fork off the wall and beat him until the fork broke in half. Yep. So at this point, he had to make all that money back that his uncle had snorted. So that sucks. Yeah. No. And and on this day, he was like gonna go buy a gun from someone. And and when he was beating him up, like he was like, I'm gonna kill him. Like I'm yeah. I'm ready yeah. to kill. He literally thought Star. he was gonna kill his uncle. Yeah. And and he said that ever since then, like things have not been well with his uncle Star. Yeah. They, because, he like, said they like have hardly talked since. Yeah, well, because and he made a good point. He was like, my uncle was like willing to kill me over drugs. Like, yeah, obviously, like, I don't care. This care, this guy doesn't care about me. Yeah, well, like yeah, he, he easily could have gotten killed over that yeah. because he was selling people actually shorted bags. Yeah, there were like yeah. other people that had asked him about it too. Yeah, and yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, he like told the guy who bought from him like, "Fuck off! I'm not selling you short of drugs." Yeah, because he, he, he actually pretended to pull a gun on one of the yeah, one of the guys. Actually, yeah. have yeah. a gun, but pretended. To yeah, pull he it didn't. But he pretended to pull one. Just yep. to, yeah. God. That's a bold move. Yeah. How fucked God. are you when they don't buy it? <laughs> yeah. Like you pull your shirt up and there's nothing there. And he's like, oh, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, now I'll kill you. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta just gotta act the part, I suppose. Oh, you mad? Uh, I thought that you'd be happy I made it. Yeah, I thought you'd be happy. I'll many uh, men. stand up to you. Many, many, <laughs> many, many men. Many men! <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Um, so after this incident where he kicked the shit out of his uncle, he decided that he wanted to get in better shape, so he took up boxing. And uh, this was also that people wouldn't mess with him anymore. Like, he just wanted to be in top physical shape so that people wouldn't fuck with him. He said he was getting to the point where he was... He was handing out knuckle sandwiches at the slightest yeah. hint of being He's, a little hungry. Yes. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, people looked was, near him wrong. He was he dishing was ready him. To kick their ass. Yeah, he, would, he, like, just enjoyed fighting on the street. Oh, like, yeah. He was like, yeah. I'll just kill, I'll just fucking fight. He just <laughs> enjoyed, like, analyzing people while he was boxing, too. He'd, like, let people hit him just so he could figure out how they fought and then beat the fuck out of them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Crazy, crazy guy. Um, but he also liked boxing because. Bloody my dog, and I can't see. <laughs> I'm trying to be what I'm destined to be. <laughs> Many men. <laughs> oh man, I didn't do my lyrical, lyrical studies I, before this. I, I, used I used to listen to this album very, very often <laughs> as a kid, as a fat white middle schooler. Yeah, I don't know how Julian Eric allowed this one to get no, this is, through. This, okay, here's a here's a fun story about Fifty Cent with me. I'm ready. Uh, I so like Eminem, Fifty Cent, Dre, all that shit. I would have to have my cousin put on mixtapes, and then I would name the CDs like different things. He like so, went incognito yeah, with so it. My parents would know because skill it. Uh, here, here you go, listener. My parents were pretty strict. <laughs> <laughs> very very strict. What'd you name one of the? What'd you name one of the? I can't remember. Too? I know. I know. Kids I named pop. one of them just like. Uh, I think I I named one of them like a Lincoln Park CD uh, nice. because they're they're fine with that. I mean, you know, whatever. One thing that everyone should know as well is uh, this doesn't really actually matter. <laughs> Ethan, Austin, and I all grew up on the east side of our town, which was the bad side of town, and so yes. we get it a little bit how hard Fifty Cent had it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it is very no. relatable. We grew for up us. on the rough side of our five thousand person town. <laughs> hey, you know so what? I can honestly it. say that my house had to get demolished because it was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah, yeah. god! I just had like an old car in the backyard. Like, it wasn't really trashy, but kind of trashy. It's okay. <laughs> it was the trashy side of town. It's okay. I would jump off the roof onto my trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> just white trash shit. It's cool. Yep, it's fun. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So many deals going down at the park. Oh, oh, so good. All so the, good. All the kids making out on the picnic tables. <laughs> just Chad there watching. My dad. Rapping. My dad without his shirt on playing basketball. Place <laughs> <sighs> oh, yes. what a time. We could. We should just make a white trash podcast. Ooh, that might there go we better go. than this. Yeah, actually. we probably go well. Yeah, so getting back to boxing, um, he really liked boxing because it was a, lo- a single-person sport, and nobody could, like, if you won, you won on your own, and if you lost, you're lost on your own. And this taught him that, like, basically he had learned by this point, don't trust anyone ever because everyone is just out to screw you over, and so don't even rely on them for a minute. So that's, that's what he took away from and his boxing. And that's what I take things. away from every interaction I have with people in public. They're not yep. worth it. Sad. It's okay. Sad. <laughs> it is okay, yeah. That's why we all sit in small booths and talk to each other over <laughs> the internet so we don't have to talk, talk to anyone else. Yeah. We, it's the best. This, is the, this is the only way I know how to perform. This is the um, only way I feel anything. 
<laughs> so uh, the godfather was who was running the area had three sons, uh, uh, Derek, Sean, and Jermaine. And so he brought in Jermaine, his youngest son, to run his operations day to day. So now this guy was overseeing the whole area, the whole drug game. Um, he had been in prison, and during that time, he researched how companies got their start and got their rise. He learned that he had to come in and just take over the area like literally just knock anyone out who didn't who wouldn't work with him and and so that's how by he by force this. yeah and not only by force but family empire coke business family empire he's Bingo. got all of his kids involved in this shit too yeah it's yeah, a family affair baby <laughs> yep <laughs> yep um so Jermaine, who is also known as red came in and like I said, pushed everyone else out, either by recruiting them or having them killed. He sold these purple top capsules, which were his brand. He learned all about branding and how important it was. That's how everyone knew that they were genuine from Germain. They were legit stuff. So think Walter White and his blue meth. Yeah, if people were and, caught like selling fake ones that weren't actually from him, they're getting beat oh, up or shot. If they get caught yeah. selling ones that aren't purple even at all they're getting yeah shot like he just yeah. cornered the market yep it's and, fun and, not, and i mean yeah not only were these the things that were only allowed to be sold but they were also what people were gonna they become the only yeah. thing people wanted if they were like they were better them. than everything yeah. else too just like walter smith yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah they were the best on the market and they uh curtis said that like they said he said crack users are very finicky about what they buy. Yeah. Like they won't buy an inferior product. <laughs> <laughs> so Curtis and his friend Ray Ray were selling still, not working with Godfather directly. So Jermaine came over and warned them to stop. They were just kids, so he showed some compassion to them. They didn't, and so the next time Jermaine saw them, uh, he just came up and beat them up. After this happened a few times, Curtis and Ray Ray switched to selling Jermaine's product, which was a huge step down for him. Uh, at this time, Curtis also was having the issue of Carlos wasn't giving him kilos anymore because he wasn't selling as much due to Red being in the area. Yeah. yeah. And he basically, he said he started basically spending more for the ability to sell than he was actually making from selling. Right. Yeah, he said like when he counted in like time to make and everything, he was losing money. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. But he went from, um, he went. He went from selling and create and producing his own product to like just bagging the product that was going to be handed out. So just putting it in the vials. Um, so like they tried it. They so he was working with them and he was still trying to sell on his own, like Austin and Ethan said. But Jermaine caught him and told Curtis that they were going to get killed if he if they slipped up again. They didn't, and they learned more about the business side of things from the inside when they worked with Jermaine. He did, uh, Curtis did try and swindle a little bit by teaching the other people bagging how to take, uh, how to make the bag look fuller and to give him the excess that was shaved off the top. So he was stealing just a little bit always from Jermaine the whole time. Game. Always got a side game. Always. The amount of time that he said hustling in this book oh, is yeah. a lot. There's and a that's lot exactly what he's doing here. Yep. Is exactly <sighs> what he's doing. Um, but as quickly as Jermaine came into the south side, he was gone. He was shot in the head twice. The godfather put a price on the assailant's head, but the killer was put in prison before anyone could do anything. And there was a short little story in the book about how Red had given like, Curtis this private little lesson about economics. I understand a bit of it, except for the uh, part where he said, um, in order to make more money, you got to move more money. <laughs> yep, make money to make money. 
Yep. Six fiction novels, four video games, and several bankruptcies later, he's put this <laughs> skill set in full effect. He's done and it. Just countless television shows, <laughs> movies, and vodka. And, hey, um, I have heard Power is albums. very good. I can't speak on it because I haven't seen it. Hey, man, Vitamin yeah. Water was pretty tight. <laughs> Oh yeah, he did it. Made a lot of money. Wasn't he just one flavor? Yeah, it wasn't he, his he owned yeah. like a minority. <laughs> I don't think his still. did very well either. If I'm <laughs> no, but he, I think he, he uh, sold. I think he, he sold before. Um, I think he uh, uh, put money into it. Oh, he got some stock. He got some share. Yeah, he invested. Yeah, he was in it. he was a shareholder before they got bought out by Coke. And when he sold, I think he had like a million dollars worth in shares. Huh. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. he yeah he bought like on the ground floor. He also yeah. I read this. This doesn't matter to anything, and this is something I could definitely say in the next episode, but I'll say it say right it. now. Yes, he, uh, one of his albums, he allowed people to buy that album in um, Bitcoin, and this was in like 2014, Ooh. and. Um, I think they said that he sold it like $400,000 worth of albums in Bitcoin and just completely forgot about it. And then like <sighs> right at the rise of Bitcoin, he sold off his Bitcoin for $7 million. Oh, my no God. way. This dude is a Legitimately just forgot about that he had done this. and, and Forgot he had this wallet full of Bitcoin. <laughs> like, oh, my god! Made like, a th- like thousands of percent <laughs> yeah. over on his investment. Yeah. Jesus. Good for him. Just he makes money accidentally. I love you know? it. He, Fifty Cent is very successful. Seven now. We'll get into in it. Bitcoin. Good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, he does have some slip ups. We will get into how well he is doing. It's fine. He's it's all fine. right. <laughs> um, so Jermaine leaving the area uh, by force by uh, about uh, what is it seven hundred miles an hour of force. Um, yeah. Is that a bullet speed? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so, bullet yeah. speed right in the brain. <laughs> Um, it uh, it caused a vacuum in the drug game in the area. And so this is where Curtis decided to step back in. He bought a gun, a three eighty ACP pistol for $800, and then spent some time learning how to shoot it. It came in handy shortly after. He started selling again, taking a play out of Jermaine's playbook and using vials with green lids to mimic what Jermaine was doing. He had learned about branding and marketing yourself. After a while, he switched from the green tops to gold tops because they looked a lot classier and fancy. Mm, I agree. He had, yeah, oh yeah, good call. Yeah, you don't want it to look Sterling like a pine tree stick. Sterling silver would be even better in my Ooh. opinion. But I am you know, silver or lead. I'm I'm hey. kind of I'm a downplayed kind of guy. I don't like it to be you too ostentatious. Me, you tell me, rose gold is it the flavor of the month? And I'll tell you. Oh that. man, well, if we're my talking rose gold, rose gold, it's a little different. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, rose gold is where it's at. <laughs> Um, so, so Curtis had just finished hooking up with a girl at her apartment when a group of guys tried jumping him. He had worn his nicest clothes and jewelry to woo her, and these guys took notice. He took off, but they started chasing him. And without even looking, he spun around, got his gun off, and shot all six shots in the clip. He kept trying to shoot after he ran out of bullets and clicked it so many times, like firing it dead, that it broke the firing pin. Broke his gun after one use. Yeah, that's awesome. God. He's still he's still a gangster in in training. I mean, that's pretty freaking hard. <laughs> yeah, hesitate. Yeah, yeah. But he got in a gab and he just booked it home. And I, I'm so fucking curious how this cab ride went. Because does this guy not just see you shoot six shots? <laughs> he, had to have, he had to have, like, heard the yeah. shots, he said, and then he gets in. Well, he said he got there in a cab, and he had the cabbie wait because yeah, he wait outside because he had to pay extra. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he knew he had plenty of money to get him to wait and have a ride waiting for him. 
So, so he I'm, saw the whole thing. I'm just like, how oh. much did he pay this guy to be like, just fucking go? You just know the cab driver was just like, same fucking shit. Yeah, I didn't see uh, anything. Same I shit, different day, didn't see Where shit. Where you going, man? Where you going? Where you need me to like, drop you off, man? The, just pay me. He didn't even tell someone like, hey, I think you shot someone. Like, he didn't even say no. that. He was just no. like, well, all right, where are you She's going? Saying, where, where are we going? <laughs> he probably already knew where they were going, too. I don't need to know your shit. You don't need to know there's my no, shit. <laughs> there's no fuck. I got a body in the trunk right now. I don't give a shit. <laughs> there's no you help me bury, You want to help me bury this body, man, since we're kind of at the same level right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who cares? Oh, um, <laughs> so Curtis found out later that he had actually shot one of the guys in the leg. And he said that um, Tracy tried to call him. Because she had heard that someone had gotten shot that afternoon. And she's like, I'm so glad you were gone. And he's like, yep. And then just ghosted her. And he was like, no, no piece of pussy's worth getting jumped over. <laughs> I'm glad you added that, that, Ethan. I'm glad yeah. that was like the standout piece of info for you. <laughs> like, that is so funny. <laughs> you know what, Mr. Mr. Jackson? I would agree with you. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, So so when he was a freshman in high school, he was having a routine check done by the school security guard. Uh, Curtis was sure that he didn't have anything on him. He left his guns at home and stuff like that. Um, And then the guard pulled out an old pair of shoes and shook them, and out fell a bunch of green tops. He was busted with crack. He had hid them in there months ago and had completely forgotten about them. <laughs> the whole time that the security guard was looking through his bag, he's giving him shit, too. He's just like, hey, man, you, after you're done, you want to come clean my room for me? I'm yeah, Curtis him. was, like, just harassing <laughs> yeah, him. Just him. constantly <laughs> just getting in this poor security guard doing his job. Oh. Then he found some crack. Uh, then he shit rough, his pants. That's a rough turnaround. It's <laughs> a good day for the security <laughs> so guard, much though. Fun that's a fun find. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't cry no more. Don't look uh, to the sky no more. Have mercy <laughs> on me. Have mercy on my soul. Somewhere my heart turned cold. Uh, it's never. There's you. It's never too many times. <laughs> no, there, it's, it's never it's too many. It's not a limit. I love to hear it every single time. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so Thank the security guard. I thought it was crack. cool. Why you want me to die, homie? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get through this. I'm going to keep throwing them out. (laughs) So the security guard uh, finding this crack really sucked for Curtis because, like, you know, finding crack is a bad thing. But the worst part for Curtis was that he was going to have to come clean to his grandparents that he was a drug dealer and had been for two years. She was upset by this, his grandma was, but more so disappointed, and she blamed herself for failing him. Uh, at this point, his grandmother decided to actually tell him how his mother had actually been a drug dealer before because he had never actually heard it from his grandparents yet. Mm-hmm. And she also told him about the murder. Yeah, this is where she told she, this is where she fessed up yep. about what had happened. They're both coming clean to each other. Yeah. And apparently and, when his grandfather found out, he just like got pissed and left. Like just walked out of the house. Yeah. Just typical typical grandma. As the patriarch will do. Um, So uh, Curtis was sad that he had to come clean, but he was actually relieved because he no longer had to hide that he was a drug dealer. He did say that, like, the the one thing he learned from this experience was the only reason he got caught was because he wasn't honest with his grandma. If he had been telling her what was up, he wouldn't have had to hide them in his shoes. 
<laughs> so rather than like selling crack being the problem, yeah. it was the fact he didn't. His grandma didn't know he's selling crack. Hey man, you know what you said at the beginning of the book. You know, everyone's out there just trying to be an entrepreneur. It's just what avenue you have to go through. Yep, that's right. That's true. That's right. The means you are Some, given to your ends. Sometimes, right. sometimes you miss the miss the mark on what you're supposed to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes I got the right lesson, and Austin bit. got the wrong one. <laughs> so, um, so uh, before that, he, before he had come clean, he had to hide all the clothes or bikes or anything that he bought at a friend's house because he wasn't supposed to have any of it. Because as far as his grandmother knew, he had no money. So if he were to show up with all of these really nice things, it would have been pretty suspicious as to where he had gotten them. For finding the crack in the vials, he was suspended from school for a whole two weeks. Pretty mild punishment. It does seem mild for crack, yeah. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure people in our school like got punished for two weeks for like punching someone. Yeah. And he like yeah. he brought like a hard drug to school and they're like All right, but we'll see you at the end of the month. Like <laughs> It's the eighties. Get out of know? here. Everyone was doing coke, everyone was doing crack. You gotta get them through school, I get it. <laughs> I yeah. guess, yeah. Uh but but you know, Again, he missed the mark on what he was supposed to learn, and his entire suspension, all he did was sell drugs. Yep. <laughs> hey, that's um, just, just downtime to make more cash, dude. Yeah, the entrepreneurial just, spirit will never die. Always you just got on that money. You just got two more hours or eight more hours a day to sell to people. That's really up in your productivity. He's <laughs> like, so, yeah, I think that him dropping out of school or being suspended was the best thing that ever happened some, to him. Some Probably. people want to say misguided. I say business-oriented. Bingo. Bingo. Way to spin it. Way to spin it, Thomas. Um, He was also given 18 months probation, but he sold drugs the entire time. He no longer cared about school and only started going to show off the things that he was buying. He also decided at this time that school was a complete waste of time because he saw that, like, he would have to go to school for 10 years more to make money. But he saw all these kids that were, like, in their late teens making decent money selling drugs. So he kind of saw school as a waste of time because he could just be a drug dealer and make money instead. Right. Then he's absolutely yeah. right. He said, you can do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, no, he yeah. made a lot of <laughs> money way fast. Way to make he did. Money. He also yeah. said the only thing he really liked in school is social studies and world history. And more specifically, he liked uh, the wars and conflicts that happened in history. Yeah. So, yeah. He liked to learn about all the, all the battles and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, he said, how can you make that boring? But they, they do. They did it, Mr. Arms. That's okay. (laughs) So Curtis's time selling drugs would not last very long. Curtis was out selling one day when a man came up to him asking for drugs. They all pushed him away as no one knew who he was except for one person. One person did not push him away. Reg, who was Brian's younger brother, sent him to a dealer. And this is a steering charge. Yes. Um, so Curtis told uh, Reg that he couldn't do that. That that shit was illegal. Reg was in prison, so he had no idea what any of like uh, any of the mandatory minimum yeah, new laws. New laws yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he was like, "You can't do that, man." And as and he could be arrested for just helping a deal in any way. And sure enough, just then two unmarked police cars came up and arrested him. Curtis said that he they didn't have anything on him, but the guy who was buying the drugs was actually an undercover officer and heard him say uh, to Reg that he couldn't do that. And so he was on the hook. I, I just want to know, like, what he was thinking. Like, 
He's obviously suspicious. Like, what are you thinking? This guy could be a cop, and you're steering him to drugs. If you did, if he was a cop, then he knows that you sell drugs, and then I sell drugs. You can't tell him that we're selling drugs. We don't know him. He could be a cop. <laughs> you can't do that. You just gave yourself away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so Reg and Curtis were taken in and charged together. Uh, with the guy who actually sold the drugs. He had that charge and the charge when he brought crack to school in front of him. So they just decided to tack that on now that he was arrested again. Um, They wanted him to take a guilty plea and do three years probation. But Reg, who had just gotten out of prison, was unwilling to plead. And this kind of ends up fucking everyone else over because he tries to take the system through the ringer to get out of it and that they all kind of get fucked. Doesn't. And it does not work, <laughs> yes. Um, after spending a long time going through everything, uh, they uh, all eventually agreed to plead. And Curtis was going to have to spend 22 months in a court-mandated drug rehabilitation program, which was a building that helped people get clean by basically uh, being a prison. He was shipped off to Brooklyn for the next year and 10 months. And this place was super strict. You were allowed no substances of any sorts, no smoking, no drinking, no drugs. You couldn't even <laughs> skip a step on the goddamn stairs. No and skipping steps. That strict. And of course, you had to learn to love and respect yourself. And if you skipped a step, you were just a self-hating bastard. Yep. How about That's it? That's true. Um, yep. so, Lack of respect. And Yeah, exactly. Uh, So this was also a place to help get people clean, which Curtis wasn't a drug dealer or a drug user. He was a drug dealer, not a user. So that part was super easy for him. He did actually fail a drug test. Uh, Like, I think in the court process he failed one. But he's like, I mean, I was cooking meth all the time, cooking crack all the time. So, like, I would eat and then I probably had crack on my hands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you just like would just ingest a little bit of cocaine, like just enough From of crack cooking. cocaine yeah. to like and like yeah. this sounds like a made up story, like, oh I don't use it, it was just on my hands because I was around it. But like he really wa- he really wasn't using his yeah. own product. But as we yeah. know from the song High All the Time, he smokes mm. that good shit. That ganj. I stay high all the time, I smoke that good shit. I'm high all the time, I'm on some hood shit. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So, Thank you, Curtis. Why don't you go listen um, to fucking Get Rich or Die Trying? Get Rich or Die Trying. I, I, I got through the whole album. It's good. It's fun. It's a good album. Yeah. Talk to fucking Austin in seventh grade MSN <laughs> fucking hat, tag. Go shorty. It's your birthday. <laughs> oh, God. I think I remember that. <laughs> no. Uh, well, we all oh, have pasts wow. we can't get away from. <laughs> Austin was so pudgy in seventh grade. <laughs> um, so C- Curtis hated being in this program, but eventually learned that the way to get through it was to fool the instructors uh, to think that he was getting it. He was understanding what he needed to do. So that's exactly what he did. He showed up early and played by the rules when they were looking, and then he was a total dick to the other patients when they were alone. They had these big venting sessions where they said that they could, like, cuss and just get anything out there they wanted to get out there and one of the other guys decided to call him out and was just like Curtis doesn't follow the rules Curtis shows up to the kitchen late when he's supposed to be on kitchen duty Curtis skips steps on the stairs Curtis is disrespectful <coughs> Curtis does not yeah, help Curtis, Curtis is part yeah. of the problem Curtis is not yeah, part of the solution but. <laughs> yes <laughs> and then like he said he just like 
internally was just exploding, like talking about how he just wanted to put a rock in his face. And then he's like, just walk up to him, just apologize to him, make sure to look Curse at his takes face. takes two chocolate milks in your line. <laughs> he, would, he would look him in the face, look at his feet, look at his face, look at his feet while he's apologizing because apparently the counselors loved that. And then uh, after they left this venting session, the guy, like, encountered him again in the hallway because he was skipping steps again. And Cruz uh, always changes it to the travel <laughs> channel. <laughs> oh, he just, I mean, Curtis told him how it was going to be. He said that he was going to apologize to him anytime he called him out. And then uh, he was going to keep doing the same thing he was going to do. Yep. So he made it through the program with uh, relative ease and even tricked most of the authorities that he was rehabilitated. This new director for the program came in and could tell that he was obviously not being honest and tried to, like, withhold him there longer in court. But the judge was like, so you're saying that the past, like, year and – how long was he there? A year and 10 months? Yep. 22 months. said that the last year and nine months have been ineffective and all these – good evaluations are bad is that what you're saying and like the judge basically said that if she didn't put him through he was going to override her yeah yeah Yeah, he basically just told this new like superintendent of the program to fuck off yeah you don't know shit that's basically (laughs) what he said the whole time she was right too that's the (laughs) yeah that's the best part like she's like no listen (laughs) listen baby And he said, like, it took everything in his body not to laugh when the judge retorted with that. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) He got her. He got her. He got the last laugh there. Got her. Um, So, yeah, naturally, as his his first day as a free man, he spent it selling drugs. But he wasn't having as much luck as there were few people who needed crack now. He went to talk to Brian about what was going on, and uh, Brian told him that he was working for The Godfather, and he was making $60,000 a week being the middleman between The Godfather and The Colombians. When he got to Brian's house, Brian decided to just pour a gym bag full of money on his bed. I guess that's what you do when your friend gets out of prison. And it had a $160, $160,000 worth of cash. Yeah, I think oh, he said yeah. it was 160 that he poured on the bed. Yeah. My bad. And, uh, yeah, Brian ended up opening a Quickly's, which was like, I think it's a general store. Is that what they said? No, it was a restaurant. No, it's a restaurant. It's still restaurant. hamburgers, hot dogs, it's pizza, like a, and ice cream. It's like Freddy's. And it ended up... It ended, he ended up the, losing the franchise because he wasn't making any money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. yeah. So, um, you try so to get out got, of the so, game, the game never gets out of you. That's right. So. Wow. That's profound. That's what I learned. Um, so, uh, they, so, they, so Curtis found out that there were a lot less crack users because, like, people just weren't using crack. So in the 22 months he was gone, like, a lot of crack users stopped using anymore and stuff. So that was no longer kind of the drug of choice. Um, but he w- saw all this money. He saw $160,000 in front of him. And so he decided that he wanted to do that. But he'd have to go talk to Derek, the godfather's oldest son. Derek put him in an apartment with Ray Ray and another guy named Marky, where they cooked the crack for Godfather's guys to deal. They also got two new roommates, courtesy of the Godfather, named Butter and Grits, because they were always together. You get it? Butter and Grits, the food? Yeah, yeah and they were Southern boys. They were Southern, southern boys. boys. Yep. Um, they were originally from North Carolina, and they had been brought to New York... Uh, to escape a life sentence for killing three people and wounding three others, including one child. These guys were fucking brutal. Think Marco and Lionel Salamanca from Breaking Bad. They did not give a shit. Those guys are the cousins, yeah, the Mexican they're cousins. they're so fucking scary in that show. And mm. these guys are so fucking scary in real life. <laughs> 
these yeah. these are the they real are life versions like, of those like guys. <laughs> they are yeah. real killers. Like just did not give yeah. a shit about human life. We're gonna or, hear like, about just several broad daylight shootings. Cool. Here we yeah. go. So uh so these guys were brought in strictly to be the enforcers for the group. So they were kind of like security, make sure everyone's doing what they were supposed to. So like they were on the team of Curtis and, and Ray Ray and Marky, but like they were also making sure like you do your shit or like we will like they were they were working with the guys, but they were working for the Godfather first, yeah. like basically, you know. So um, Curtis was once complaining of a kid owing him some money. So uh, Butter and Grits just drove to him and then just shot him in the chest and killing him. Basically, um, they were like all working together, bagging shit up, and Curtis was like, "I hate this dude. I want to kill this dude." Fucking Phil. Yeah, and he was he wasn't like serious. He want, was like talking about wanting to beat him yeah. up, and then these guys just didn't venting. say anything to him. They just went and killed him. Just made it happen. Yep. The worst part about the it, though, day, yeah. he didn't even get his money back. Oof. Think about oh. that. Ugh. A dead man can pay you no money. Think about that's it. true. That's why that's I keep right. every. That's why I keep everyone alive. <laughs> that's the only, that's the only reason. <laughs> Because I That's never know when I'm going to need some money from him. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to need right. some money back. <laughs> so that's my so only motivation. <laughs> you better believe I'm not going to. You're safe. <laughs> you're just. I'll, I'll just wait. You're the safest people. <laughs> you're the safest person in the state. <laughs> you got my money. Um, that will yeah, be. So. So, on another account, the group wanted to retaliate after someone beat up one of their own. So, they all got in the car, and then when they got to the guy where the guy was, um, everyone was ready to fight. But Gritz told him that they should just hold on, and he walked over. He talked to some guys, and then just shot one of them in the stomach, walked back to the car, and then drove away like nothing happened. And on another occasion, they shot a girl in the leg simply because she was annoying them. And... 50 said this was kind of the incident that really made him start to change how he felt about murder. Like, he was getting so desensitized to it. He was, like, like we're about to say, he's starting to learn that he can just take his gun out and shoot it off without really caring. Yeah, yeah and it really helped. He was like, these guys will kill for me without a thought. I should be like that, too. Well, another thing we exactly, didn't even, yeah. like, emphasize enough, they were – they're Names are not obviously not butter and grits, but he literally said if anyone besides Godfather knew, he never told them because that was what yeah, everyone knew about. No one ever found no out the name. Were. God, yeah, that's, that's some a, real yeah. shit. So yeah. scary, so goddamn scary. Um, yeah, so he, I mean, you already saw that he was like pretty comfortable shooting at people, and now he was like, okay, this is yeah. literally nothing. Is Life really is stopped, nothing. Does not care anymore. Yeah. Um, so Curtis, who was pretty a pretty like unfrightened man overall, was very scared of grits and butter. But they had taught him to shoot first. He got, like I said, very comfortable with using his gun to threaten and intimidate, and he wasn't hesitant about firing it. Curtis and Ray Ray went and attacked people who were bad mouthing him, and Curtis ended up jumping out of the car and immediately shooting off his machine pistol. I had. He said they so basically they had like set up a meeting, and they pulled up. And these guys were out there with baseball bats and chains and brass knuckles and shit thinking they were going to fight. And he said he just got out and emptied his clip at them. <laughs> Didn't hit anyone, but just, like, hopped out and Ugh. shot, and they all ran. Yeah, they all just fucking he ran He did away. not care Which, at this point. I don't blame him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I I'm, mean, t- every- I'm turned tail. <laughs> I'm not sticking <laughs> everyone- around for that. Everyone shit their pants on their way out the door. Um, but, yeah, he was now able to threaten anyone, and they knew that this threat would be legit. Yeah. Like, he's honestly, he's lucky he didn't kill anyone. And if he did kill anyone, he left it out of the book, which is probably smart. Yeah. That would be incriminating. Yeah. But, 
another like short little thing, kind of in the same vein. Uh, Curtis said he was super into gambling, and so they were playing dice at this apartment um, by the barber shop with a guy named Antoine. And uh, basically, this Antoine, Antoine guy had played all of his money, and Curtis let him uh, play a couple dice on on like good favor, basically. And this guy ends up getting way back up, and Curtis said all his luck went to this guy, and Curtis got to where he had no more money, and the guy was like not gonna let him keep playing. Just being a huge yeah, dick, to even him. though he was like, yeah. I just, yeah. he's like, what? Well, my word is, I just as good let as yours. you play with no money. And so yeah. he told his friend Ray Ray, he was like, hey, go get this money from the safe downstairs and grab my jacket, which they both yeah. knew meant to grab his Mac. And so uh, he comes back up. And somehow subtly like put it in his in his waist and went back to the table and the guy was like, You gotta leave, you don't have any money. And uh basically things escalated to where he was like, You know what? I am not I am gonna leave, but I'm also not giving you any of that other money back and this Antoine guy comes over the table and he said he just whipped out his gun and fired off four shots and everybody ran. Yeah. Yeah, he like he like just pointed it at him, and everyone ran up the stairs. And as he was like, as they were running up, he just shot it down. Yeah, he, like, and he said he went out and sat on the car, and he's like, you know what? To this day, I think he's still in that yeah, barber shop. Said he waited <laughs> on his car until midnight. Yeah. The guy never came out. Yep. <laughs> oh, God, so scary. Um, yeah, so he didn't kill anyone; just shot at people. Uh, grits and butter, however did kill people so yeah. they made their yep, exit so they made their exit when a security guard at a club told the group that they had to stop smoking weed and when they refused they were tossed out they all started fighting the security guard but the guard was beating him uh beating everyone and um even even curtis was like this guy's flawless in his fighting yeah, he, said his yeah. he was like studying how yeah yep. and so he was like i'm fucked like i'm not gonna be able to beat this guy but right as uh the security guard turned to curtis to fight he got like a wide-eyed look in his face and all at once like curtis or er, uh butters butter not butters <laughs> surprised we made it that far without accidentally doing that uh, <laughs> butter uh ran towards him and had his gun out and just like shot started shooting at the guard and one of the sh- shots hit him in the chest the guard then took off running across the street and butter was chasing after him firing as he did so Uh, He was getting hit basically with almost every shot, and the guard hit the steps of a middle school and fell. Butter then walked up to him and just basically stood over him and emptied the clip inside of him, hitting him 16 times. Yeah, he shot all 17 shots in his Glock, and 16 of them were in the dude. And Butters, like, literally almost shot Curtis. Curtis said he turned around, and he had the gun out in front of him and was starting to shoot, and he had to move out of the way to not get shot. Yeah, yeah, but he was, like, literally ready to shoot Curtis to yeah. kill this guy. Like, he was fucked up. Um, so, so after... <laughs> After they, after Butter killed this security guard, um, the Godfather quickly sent he and Grits away to Alabama, and they would never come back to New York. But again, they had taught Curtis to shoot first and to be fearless and ruthless. He would use this ruthlessness during his time at a rehabilitation boot camp. 
He was out selling one morning when a guy came up to him asking him for some heroin. Curtis told him to promptly fuck off, and so he went over to Curtis's partner and asked her. She thought Curtis had okayed the sale and sold him some uh, drugs. I, did, I put crack in here. I don't know if it was crack or heroin I think it was or whatever. heroin he was asking for. Who knows? But yeah, who, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they had them both. Uh, both wrong. They, yep. Yeah, th- he bought drugs from her. Um, and then again, just as before, three cop cars showed up, roaring in and arrested him. Curtis didn't have anything on him, but his per- his partner had 36 vials of crack and a dozen packs of heroin on her. Curtis denied the whole thing and figured he'd be in the clear because he told this guy to fuck off, whatever. Like, basically, this, this dude, this undercover cop, like, went and talked to him, didn't get anything out of him, went to the other person, and that's where the drugs were sold. He didn't have any drugs on him, whatever. So he thought thought he was in the clear he was like ready to laugh this whole thing off but uh things would go very wrong for him when uh at eight in the morning uh, a bunch of police busted into his room with the search warrant and um he had no time to clean up anything that he had put anywhere or whatever so in the room they found almost 300 grams of crack heroin stuff to bag it and sell it and fifteen thousand dollars in cash and only six hundred ninety-five dollars made it to the evidence. Weird. That's very weird. <sighs> Isn't there a God. name for that? What's the name of the What's the name of the procedure where like cops can just take anything for any reason, thinking like, it may um, be illegal? Like search and uh, seizure. It's like search and seizure, but I know what you're thinking of. Like they can just take any amount of money and say that they think it might be involved in crime and take it. Exactly. I can't think of what yeah. you're thinking of. Uh, yeah. uh, civil Civil forfeiture. Bam. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, oh, no. they just took this. And was like, yeah, he had seven hundred dollars on him, and they just like pocketed the other fourteen thousand. <laughs> yep, crazy. Oh, great. But um, yeah. But with all this, Curtis was fucked. Very fucked. I think that there's oh. a real funny part in there where he was just like, because he said that he uh, thought it was his alarm going off when the bell was going off. Yeah. And he woke up, realizes the cops. He's like, oh man. I knew I should have had someone built a chute to get drugs out of my place fast. Yeah. yeah <laughs> this is his first like, thought. Again, maybe not Going. the right lesson to take from him. <laughs> maybe not the right lesson. <laughs> I don't know. Mark. You missed the mark. The you entrepreneurial just... spirit. And he, That's what He, he again breaks that just down. He's like, it. you could pay someone to set up a piping system to go out of a dummy <laughs> wall. <laughs> yep, yep. Just out onto another property and it's gone. <laughs> this is really uh, like a 101 in the crime. Uh, yeah, this is if he if he didn't get into music, he'd be dead right now. Blood in my eyes, dog, and I can't. I will, see. Uh, I will allow it three more times. We have three more pages left, and I'll all right, allow it three right, more times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so many more. Um, so so Curtis was charged with possession with intent to sell, and like I said, this was after the Reagan era war on drugs with harsh mandatory minimums. So Curtis was looking at nine years in prison, up to nine years. Um, but they offered him another option: the New York State Department of Correctional Services incarceration he would have to do this for six months so it's much shorter than prison and curtis agreed to do this he was like i can do six months i don't give a shit so he was shipped off to a place uh this this uh, place in beaver dams new york and it was essentially a boot camp but there were no rules because it was it was that or prison and you weren't in the military so like it was a bunch of like people leading boot camp but like they had no boundaries on what they could or yep. could not do to people. Uh, here he met a guy named Raw, who was there for being a robber. He was big on mugging people. 
And this place was like, you had to wake up at 5.30 in the morning, work out all day, and just be harassed. Like, that was all that you did. Yeah. Mm. Um, They were forced to do physical labor all day and would be punished if they got caught slacking. They once had to cut down trees, and Curtis and Raw were caught sitting on some stumps. The drill sergeant... um, that ran the program made Curtis and Ra carry logs with them for the entire rest of the time that they were in the camp for six months. They had to carry it everywhere. They had to sleep with it, poop with it, shower with it, like do their workouts with it. And um, like if they put it down, basically he, the, the drill sergeant would be like, you're done. And they would get shipped off to to prison. So like they had to do it. Yeah. So Curtis said when he was out, he felt naked without carrying that log with him. At one point, he said that his drill instructor. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I can't name. remember it something either. weird. No, it was yeah, it was weird. <laughs> yeah, it was like Panaran or something like that. Yeah, it was Carl Panzeran. Panzeran. Man, it was Carl Panzeran. <laughs> yeah, Carl Carl, Carl Panzeran. All right, but anyway, <laughs> Carl Panzeran is a notorious serial killer. Just so everyone is aware. <laughs> he said it was super cold outside, and a, one of the guys that he was in there with decided that he just wasn't going to do it. He's like, just send me. I'm, I want to go. I'm leaving. And multiple people dropped out in that first workout. And for every yeah. person that dropped out, they had to do 50 more push-ups. And, yeah, the, the drill instructor just, like, took his shirt off and was like, it's a beautiful morning. It's great out. He said it's yeah, beach but weather. Then, if there was a pool, we'd all be skiing yeah. dipping. There Bingo. it is. Thank uh, you. But, yeah, yeah after, after Curtis <laughs> wouldn't go in the water – he went to the infirmary, and when he came back, the drill sergeant made him do, like, a super fucking Oh, yeah, the hard hardest workout. workout he'd ever done in his entire life. That's yeah, it. That's it, yep. Yeah, real tough. Um, yeah. So Curtis decided he was going to do the same thing that he had done in the rehabilitation clinic and buckle down and play by the rules to trick everyone. Uh, so he studied and got his GED while he was in there, and he got popular with the group, even leading some workout sessions. And after six months, he was out. One thing I want to say really quick if you trick people into doing it, aren't you doing it? Yes. Like, yeah. if you're like, I'm going <laughs> to trick everyone, and I'm going to show up and work harder than everyone else, and I'm going to play by all the rules, aren't you just following the he's rules just, at that point? I yeah, think he just means like, that he knew he was going to go right back to the streets when he got out. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, it's just like, huh, that's you're doing what they <laughs> you want. You just like, keep doing it. Yeah, technically you're, you're succeeding at, at the yeah. program. Um, but yeah, so after six months, he had succeeded and he was out. And once he was out, he only had to go to parole meetings and had a parole advisor and things like that. So when he got out, he took to selling again and quickly made enough to buy a motorcycle and a truck. He was arguably an even better dealer because now he's waking up. He's used to waking up like five in the morning every morning. So he's out selling. Yeah, yeah, he said that the morning rush of people like people going to work that needed their crack and train cocaine, drivers like, and cab drivers yeah. and yeah. God. teachers. Yeah, yeah he, he was just like ev- yeah, he's he just like everyone teachers. needs everyone needs crack. So <laughs> I'll be up before everyone goes to work, and they can all buy from me. That's what he yep. did. Um, so, so when he bought this truck, he walked into the dealership and he was brushed off by the salesman because he was wearing raggedy clothes. He's like, if I don't have to impress anyone, like I don't need to wear nice clothes or whatever. And so um, he walked into the manager's office and dumped $23,000 in cash on his desk. The manager quickly put him in the truck. Uh, and even though he didn't have a license or insurance, so the manager agreed to keep the truck under the dealer's insurance and with dealer plates. This dude was like literally tripping over himself to sell this truck to this I guy. I just want to know where I can get this package because that's a pretty <laughs> sweet deal. 
Well, do you have $23,000 worth of drug money? Do not. Uh, So after he bought the truck, he drove the truck to a courthouse and got his learner's permit. He then ramped up back up on his business. He bought kilos of coke at a time and started pulling people into his organization, working his way up right underneath the godfather. He also called up Ra, the guy from the boot camp, and told him to come in and start robbing people who weren't working for him. So Ra would get to keep any money that he got when the robberies, and then he would give the drugs to Curtis. Curtis would then give the drugs to his dealers who could sell him. Uh, he would give the drugs to the dealers for free or very, very cheap so that they could sell them and make a little bit more money. And he was given all the competitor dealers the uh, the old red offering. The, uh, you either get lead or you get silver. Yep. Yeah, work for me or I'll kill <laughs> yep. you. Yep. That's how it went. Or I'll, I'll Stop come and take to, your to life no away. <laughs> One more line. One more uh, line. Okay. I, are, I'm running out of good lines that I am allowed to say. It's better than any I've uh, had. You didn't Zero. listen to the censored version? Um, um, so everything was going swimmingly until Curtis was asked to pull over by the police. He didn't know what they wanted, but he knew that he didn't want to get pulled over. So he decided to try and escape him on his motorcycle. And um, when that took place, it led to a multi-cop car police chase, and they even brought in a helicopter. Curtis eventually got away and hid in his grandparents' attic. The police came by and told his grandparents that Curtis was wanted as a suspect in a double homicide, and they needed to talk to him. His grandparents told the police to fuck off and sent him away. Curtis grabbed a wig and a dress and to look like a girl and then made his escape. He found out shortly after that the police had made a mistake and he was in the clear. They were upset with him for running, but there was nothing that they could do to him. And then, uh, so he just went back to dealing and basically that wasn't, nothing really happened to him, but you know. It's just the police trying to get him. Um, and then a little while later, Sincere showed back up into town with a bag full of cash and nowhere to go. He was in Alabama with a guy who had ratted out grits and butter and had to escape. He said his plan was to buy a bunch of houses with the money he was holding, and it was like $700,000. It was a shitload of money. Um, and he was going to buy a bunch of houses and then get caught and then go to prison. And when he came back out, he was going to sell those houses and basically make his money back. This like really scared Curtis eh, because he was finding out pretty quickly that most people that he knew who were selling drugs either ended up dead or on the run. And he knew that he didn't want to do that. And he also had something to scare him away from being a drug dealer. He was going to be a dad. He met a girl, and shortly after they met, she was pregnant. She didn't want him dealing, and he didn't want his kid to be the child of a drug dealer. This was really his big turnaround, kind of. He does. He yeah. still keeps selling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but keep, like he re- keep hustling. He really, he really starts to think like I probably should do something yeah. else. Like this isn't a forever job for me. And you know, yeah, that's cool. Um, and luckily, around this time in 1996, when Curtis was 21, 21. he met. Yeah, we're all only this at 21 has happened this prior to 21. Oh, good God! <laughs> this story is nine years long, and he has gone to essentially prison twice yep. and watched people die and sold. What, at, at the height of his drug deal, he was making like 150 thousand dollars a month. He was making and he shot at people. Of, he was yeah, oh yeah, like his his life is wild. It's a so, roller coaster. Um, and he's about to start the next chapter in his life when he met Jam Master J, one third of the very popular hip hop group Run DMC. He met him at a club through a mutual friend, and Curtis told him that he wanted to be a rapper. 
which if you've noticed in this story, is the very first time we've mentioned that. This is the first time we've really mentioned anything associated with music. It's the music. first time he like mentions it. Other, other than the hip-hop at the beginning. <clears throat> yeah, yeah that's parties. true. That's true. That's true. Like I said, last 10 minutes. He did um, not so, focus on it at all in the beginning no, of his life. No. No, uh, he, and then all at once he's like, I want to be a rapper. And I think he was like rapping in people's basements and stuff, but he had no like realization that he wanted to do it for yeah. real until this kind this kind of this point. Um, uh, so Jay respected that he wanted to stop selling drugs and pursue music. So he agreed to sign him to his production label, JMJ Records. And JMJ was already pretty established at this time because he had signed a hip hop group called Onyx, which they were also from South Jamaica. So. Their onyx it's is so sick. Slam, jump, let's make It's the one now. We're gonna now. Austin's a hip hop head at <laughs> heart. You, I Austin. love it. Now I, I say, Austin, it. you're really showing your true colors this uh, episode, yeah. and I kind of yeah, like I'm, it. Well, Austin's clearly the most diverse <laughs> music listener. Keep a lot of I things in his closet. we're gonna keep him in there uh so the next day curtis was in jay's studio where jay gave him a cd to rap to he wrote all day and showed his stuff to jay jay liked it but he had to teach curtis how to write a song basically like format structure like lyrical structure how to work within within 16 beat bars stuff like that um so this was like literally the first writing session that Curtis had ever done. Jay actually laughed at the tape when Curtis showed it to him. Like, it's awesome that he still recognized the talent and like wanted to help him, but that's got to be pretty. Ugh. That's got to sting a little bit. Oh Bird. yeah, yeah. He said that he liked the stuff, but he was like the 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 like structure. I got to totally good. fix you. Yeah, but but he oh did. he does. I mean, clearly he, oh, he did. J Master J is pretty responsible for what uh, Fifty Cent is now. I'd say. Yeah, I'm I'm I will say. I will say. say um, a little more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And M&M. M&M. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll agree with all of that. But he wouldn't have got there. Well, I mean, it's not a competition. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I'm say, I am saying it like it's a competition, so I'm sure this is confusing <laughs> yeah, for you. It's guys. Very defensive. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, so he, so he, Curtis thought that this was going to be the new start to his life. But once Jay signed him, nothing really happened. He didn't do much recording or anything for months. Jay also wanted him to stop selling drugs, so he had to live on the money that he already had made, and he had to sell off his cars to pay for like living and his child, which he was the primary care provider for. He began to pour all of his time into music, working with anyone who would help him produce. He looked to Snoop Dogg and Tupac, who had written about the streets and the struggles as his inspiration. And he wanted to mimic their, like, um, their rough and tumble. Like, he didn't want to fake any of the lyrics that he wrote. So he was like, I'm going to write about real shit. Yeah, my actual Um, life. Yeah, so he had never freestyled, and so he was always writing and rehearsing anything he performed. He also decided that he needed a rap name. He decided Curtis Jackson was not the name he wanted to use. So the name that he landed on was 50 Cent, partially because he thought it was a metaphor for change, partially because it was easy to remember, and partially, or mostly, I guess, uh, it was because it was the name of an infamous mugger from Brooklyn who had died. So he wanted to pay his respects by using his name. He said there was a lot of rappers naming themselves stuff like Gotti and Escobar and stuff, and he was like, if I'm going to, you know, go after, a, like, a criminal like this, I want it to be someone who would at least say what's up to me. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, like yeah he's like, I want to keep it real. Yeah. 
So he went with 50 cent. Um, to further this 50 cent image, he bought a necklace, a gold necklace, with a quarter and then five nickels in the shape of a cross, and also made a sticker of a 50 cent coin with his face on it, which I want super cool. bad. I think it's on the cover of one his like first album that didn't get released through Columbia. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. I, I looked for the sticker to like buy it, and I could not find it. But Aww. it looks super cool. That's why I called him JFK at the beginning of the yeah. episode because JFK <laughs> I, is on the fifty uh, cent coin, and now there you go. fifty cent is wow. on. Wow. I get there it. We go. I'm sorry I would not that have this, gotten that. This joke took That's so long to come human. to fruition. That's smart really, you really let it ferment. I like Thank it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, but. Uh, he was trying to make a name for himself and he learned about marketing. He learned about like everything like that. So he knew what he had to do and he was, so he was trying to put himself out there, but he had no music to prove that he was good. He was eventually put on an Onyx song called React, which turned into a single for the band, and they even shot a video for it. And then that was it for months. He was working on his music alone with, or with no, with other no names in the area. So he was like in a lot of basements, just like, like people were producing beats for him and stuff As like that and he do. would wrap along to it yeah exactly but nothing was you know really catching any traction and he wasn't really allowed to produce much because he was under this label um and he was also trying to take care of his infant son who was only six months mm. old around this time luckily he got another break when he met someone from columbia records he showed him his music and the guy didn't pay him any mind so 50 told them that they were wrong and they should just fuck off but luckily a week later the exec called him at two in the morning telling him to come into the studio and work with the track masters who are some of the top producers in the game there are more hey fuck you mans in this book than I can count. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, yeah. He writes a hey, fuck you man like so many times. <laughs> a lot. Fifty Cent is ready to just discount any person at any time. Like if anyone gives him any I shit, really he's ready it. to fuck you to the moon. So he spent less than three weeks in the studio with these track masters and ended up with 36 songs, recording on average two songs a day. They liked him, but he had to get out of his contract with Jam Master Jay. He had to pay Jay 50 grand to get out of the contract. And 50 was initially pretty mad about this, but he understood how much Jay had helped him grow as an artist. Using the money that he got from the new contract with the track masters, he paid off Jay and was left with a couple thousand dollars for himself. He was excited to get back into the studio, but just like his time with Jay, the track masters just sat on him for about a year. These, this was like such a tight time for him because he had just all the money he had, he had just used to pay off getting out of that contract, and now he's not getting any shows yeah. or anything or recording. Yeah, and yeah, so he would like uh, he would be struggling super super hard. So That'd be like the most defeating thing ever. Like like as a musician, you want to get signed by a record label, and then once you do, you're like. I mean, he just doesn't get it's shows. It's a low point in our hero story. Music. Yeah, Absolutely. it's rough. Absolutely. You should just, yeah, think about those nice days when he was just selling crack and shooting people. <laughs> Jesus. The, the simpler days. <laughs> simpler, simple, yeah. The simple times. As, as Andy said, why can't you just realize you're in the good times before you've left them? <laughs> Um, so yeah, they eventually, uh, the track masters eventually transferred his contract over to Columbia. So he was signed with a ma major label, which was very, very cool, 
but he was making no money and making no music. He was getting fed up with waiting around, so he decided to write a song called How to Rob on a 30-minute car ride to the studio one day, which was about how he wanted to rob all of these artists who are making millions uh, and doing nothing with it. And he calls out a shitload of people in it. Like, he calls out people who aren't even rappers. He calls out, like, <laughs> everyone that's wealthy. Oh, yeah. He's just like, he calls out Mike Tyson. He calls out, um, uh, blah, 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 blah. He calls out, like, a lot of wives of rappers and stuff like that. Like, yeah. he just calls out anyone yeah. and it's like it's a huge diss track uh, and there was a lot of artists that were upset well he did this. it on purpose because he said he wasn't getting any publicity at all so he was like I need to do something to make myself stand out from all these different rappers that are doing it right now and so he was like I'll just piss off everyone I can and then people will yeah, definitely like, talk about me he yeah. said he knew he was in a position where he could do it and like nothing would really happen because he was a nobody yeah. Right. One little kind of fun thing about this song, too, if you listen to it, is uh, he sounds way different, I feel like, because if you know 50 Cent, you know, like, how he sounds and how he talks, and there's a defi- there's a reason for it, and this song is, is like, he doesn't have that slur he's kind of known for in this, because... He yeah. used to actually be pretty quick-tongued. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going to say, yeah. I, <laughs> I like, I like, I, was, I like the I was, 50 oh, Cent. I was doing it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. cool. But like, yeah, he uh he yeah, there's a he he has a very crisp sound in this song and uh he does not have it when you hear uh Get Rich or Try Dying. And spoiler alert, and it's cuz he hasn't been shot in the again? face yet. <laughs> <laughs> there is a yeah, there's a very specific reason for it. Um so in in How to Rob, he called out Wu-Tang Clan, DMX, and even Jay-Z, like I said as well as many many other people. Um they all wrote either diss track backs to him or they called him out in his in their shows which he loved the attention he was under the impression that any publicity was good publicity and it worked jay-z actually personally encountered him and he talked about it he said that he was at a festival called summer jam and jay-z walked up to him backstage and was like just so you know i'm about to go into you on stage and he's like he didn't care. Why no, would he? he to- yeah, yeah. And, and Jay-Z did. Yeah. He was like, this fool 50 cent saying all, and 50 was like, and he. I'm about a dollar. Yeah, and yeah. 50 was like, yeah. he just said my name to 100,000 people. He's yeah, like, he just told like, everyone about me. Yep. yep. Yeah. He loved it. Uh, yeah, he actually got so much publicity from this that he actually was offered a tour with Nas, who, which is uh, which was a very popular rapper at the time. And he was invited to do uh, a song called Thug Life with Destiny's Child. During this time, he actually gained uh, his arch rival as well, who we spoke about before, Ja Rule. Oh, God, Ja Rule's terrible. Um, so, so a friend of 50 robbed Ja Rule, and Ja took it personal to 50. Um, even at one point, like, Ja, or 50 was hanging out with a friend who robbed Ja, and Ja, like, went up and started talking shit to 50, and 50 was like, dude, the guy who actually robbed you is right there. Like, why are you mad at me? But, like, he was like, he's like, fuck it. If you hate me, I hate you. I don't give a shit. Um, so he called 50 a shitty person and said that he was a shitty artist, and that's what really got to 50. So 50 wrote a track dissing Ja called Your Life's on the Line about Ja Rule and how he was a fake gangster and how he was soft. Um, they eventually met in a show in Atlanta, and 50 and Ja got into it. 
Jaw was talking shit, so 50 just punched him straight in the face. And so then Jaw's crew attacked 50, and in the end, 50's boxing day showed back up, and he beat Jaw's crew. Madman. He even got God. A, oh, he even got some of Jaw's jewelry, and another guy had to come back and was like, "Hey, man, you're right. Like you were in the right in this, but like I need that jewelry back." And traded him a gold watch for Jaw's jewelry. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, Jaw later jumped Fifty in the studio by turning out the lights and stabbing him. It was a super light stab, which only required a couple stitches, um, and it was it just furthered the rivalry along which actually continues to this day. That whole paragraph, I never thought that I would say that whole paragraph in my life. I've never sent 50 and Jaw so much in my yeah, life. <laughs> you did great. And you Thank did you. good. Uh, you know, Thank 50 you. said that when he was talking about, when 50 was talking about that incident where uh, Ja Rule had came in and turned out the lights on him, I think it was in a studio, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, he turned off the studios and like a scuffle happened and 50 just left the studio after it happened, wasn't really sure... He didn't even know he got stabbed he until he got he home. He thought he bumped into I, something. Yeah, he thought he bumped into something, and then, like, I think it was his grandma or some a relative had heard that he had gotten stabbed and decided to look himself over, and he's like, oh, yeah, I guess I, I, guess I did get stabbed. <laughs> and his yeah. grandma made him go to the hospital. Sweet yeah. Lady. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, he didn't find out till like, the next day that it was Ja who did it, and he's like, fucking pussy. Like, why? <laughs> Little bitch like, boy. Why? Yeah, exactly, like. You, you turn out the lights, you stab me, and then you run away. Like, how much more petty can you be? And then there's 50 who beats the fuck out of him and then beats up his crew. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, they, yeah, Jaw was like, okay, we have to, like, jump him in the dark in order to get a, <laughs> ahead of him. But, um... But 50 decided that he couldn't be a hip-hop artist and be on a major label and be poor. He was, like, taking, like, the public metro bus everywhere. And he's like, can't this is that. no life for... <laughs> this yeah, hurts this, so yeah. bad. Yeah, he was like, my dignity is just so God. low right now. And so he decided that the way to make money again was to start selling again. So he came back strong. And if this sounds familiar, there's a reason. Trying to strangle people out who were in his territory. And um, he would basically, like, mug or, uh, like, threaten to kill anyone who was selling stuff that he didn't want. And it so got we're led. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's uh, very reminiscent of what Jermaine yep. did back all those years ago. It got so bad that the godfather told him that he had to calm down and eventually arranged a meeting with him and two guys who he had beat up for no reason to settle some things. But 50 skipped the meeting to record. The Godfather called him after and told him that it was very disrespectful that he had skipped this meeting and 50 would be on his own without any protection. But 50 didn't care. He just wanted to get his money and get out of the game. 50 would get out of the game soon enough, but not before almost losing his life. On May 24th, 2000, just two days before he was supposed to film the Thug Life music video with Destiny's Child, and shortly before his debut album, The Power of a Dollar, was going to be released on Columbia Records, 50 was at home at his grandparents' house getting ready to go out. His friend came by to pick him up and told 50 to wear that uh, 50 cent necklace that he had made with the quarters and nickels. Yeah, you got to look really fly. Honestly, the friend just wanted to like borrow the necklace that he was currently wearing, so he told him to grab the other (laughs) one. Yeah, yeah. Um, That old move. So 50 ran back inside the house, and while he was in there grabbing his necklace, he decided to grab his gun as well. When he came back out, he saw a car down at the end of the street that he didn't recognize, but didn't think much of it. 
He got back in the back seat of his friend's car, and unbeknownst to him, someone got out of the car and was walking up to the back driver's side window. Before 50 knew what was happening, the man was shooting into the car at near point-blank range. 50 said he felt his legs burning and fell into the seat. He reached for the gun that he had just grabbed from inside, but it wasn't cocked, so he couldn't shoot it. Then another bullet hit him in the jaw, destroying it and his tongue. He said his, he felt his hand get shot before the driver of the car 50 was in took off. Now, um, I have a conspiracy about this that I want you guys to hear, and we'll just live with it. So, uh, in his song, How to Rob, 50 drops the line, Catch Tyson for half that cash like Robin Givens. Robin was Mike Tyson's ex-wife. This is obviously pretty obvious uh, about who 50 was talking about. But the man who allegedly shot 50 was Daryl Baum, who was Mike Tyson's close friend and bodyguard. So I'm putting it on the table that Mike Tyson had 50 shot because he was pissed that 50 had called him out in his song. You heard it here first. Tony is challenging Mike Tyson. This is a call. This is a challenge to the heavyweight title. Mike Tyson paid to have 50 Cent kill. We're positing it here first. Wait, I don't wait. know why you guys are like painting such a terrible picture of Mike Tyson. He is such a sweetheart now. Like he would never have had someone killed. He would have never raped a woman. He would have never bit someone's ear off. He is just he's just a stand-up guy. I don't know what you guys are trying to say. Yeah, you're right. He's a sweet guy. He's a sweetheart. Yeah. Well, you yeah, heard no, it here first. It, yeah, he did it. So I don't know. So in all, 50 was shot nine times in the hand, arm, both legs, chest, and left cheek. He was taken to the hospital where he spent 13 days. He had to have his jaw wired shut and be fed through an IV for quite a while. But him getting shot was just the beginning of a long string of problems for the rapper, all of which we will get to on the next episode of On In 5. Whew. Good story. Quite Ooh, the story. story. That is, oh man. The next episode's yeah. gonna be weird because we're gonna get about twenty minutes in with the st- with the book, and then we're just gonna free ball it. <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> we're gonna figure we'll out what's going on. Going. I'm gonna watch yeah, articles. It's going to be a lot more conversational. <laughs> watch, um, watch all his failures after music, but yeah, it won't change you know, the fact that many men. Many, 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 men. Wish death upon him, he don't care. I don't care no more. How he filed for bankruptcy in 2015. Said he was 40 million in the hole, and it's fine. I saw something that he like sold off one of his companies for like 60 million. Like, this dude moves money. He's just crazy. He's always, probably still moving he's drugs. He's taking that crazy. to heart. The more money you put through your hands, the more. That's right, yeah. The you know what? I bet, we can, I bet money. we'll never know who Carlos really was. That's okay. Yeah, I don't think we know yeah. who most of the people are. He said he <laughs> changed true. a lot of names. <laughs> he probably yeah. did, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point, Austin. He did probably change a lot of names. Earlier, but it's fine. You yeah, all made it to the end. That's Everyone's cool. that started. Yeah, thank you. You made it. Thank you for making it this far, Ed. 
<laughs> so we're going to wrap this up. Um, if you want to find us anywhere, you can find us at We're On In 5, W-E-R-E, On In 5. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have a website uh, called We'reOnIn5.com. You can find little bios about us. You can find a lot of places to like find our podcast, um, all, all of our links for our social stuff, just little things like that. You can also contact us on there, whatever. If you want to find me personally, my Twitter and Instagram handle is Anton A O N. I spelled my. You got whole it. Name you got That's it. perfect. You got it. Just um, keep going. Uh, is uh, A N T O N is on and five. That's Twitter and Instagram. I have a Facebook, but like it's. I don't know if it's private, but like if you want to add me, that's totally fine. Whatever. I don't post much on any of them. Um, if you want to find Ethan anywhere, Ethan, why don't you talk to him? You know, I'm. I'm just my name on Twitter, Ethan Bonin, B-O-N-I-N. On Instagram, I'm Bones for Bonin. And like always, I'm always going to say, just send us some emails at our Gmail. Uh, we are on in five at gmail.com. I, I just, we just want to talk to you, like always. Please. Do it. Please send us something. Ethan's gonna We've gotten fucking a couple pull the emails. If you guys don't start sending emails, <laughs> he's good. he's desperate for it. He's been smoking the iron pipe for quite a few <laughs> days now, and <sighs> no, we've gotten a couple uh, a couple listener emails now, and like it's very fun to read them and respond to them. We will respond to you, so please email us and talk to us because we, we like hearing it. from We'd you love guys. It. We love it. Yeah. Any criticisms, any critiques, we want to hear it all. Um, and if you want to critique Austin specifically, why don't you go to his social media? And I'm going to give you plenty of subject matter to work with. Uh, you can find me <laughs> on Twitter at T-H-O-M-A-A-A-F. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Three A's. Yeah, three of them. You can find me on Instagram wow. at Austin underscore Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, O nine. And you can find me on Facebook at me. <laughs> at, at you, yes. You just uh, look me, me up, and I'll be me on there directly. Um, the other thing that we want to do is we want to drink beer every episode because it's very tasty. We really enjoy beer, all three of us, and um, we're hoping that if we promote beer, eventually someone will make a beer and they'll say, "Man, I really need these guys to try it first and promote it on their episode." <laughs> so, um, yeah. So we will uh, tell you what we're drinking this week. So I am drinking Odell Brewing Company's Isolation Ale. Odell is out of Colorado, and their Isolation Ale is a caramel ale. Um, so it's like a darker lager type thing, and it then right at the end it's got a little hint of hops. So it's like a, it's almost like a like a like a darker ale with just a little bit of IPA on it. It's super, super good. It's perfect for these Iowa winters that we're getting into, and um, I would highly recommend that you go try it. I'm in Iowa. The beer's out of Colorado. I'm pretty sure they're nationwide, so please go try it. Very good. Uh, I am having a nice uh, Voodoo Ranger IPA from New Belgian Brewing in Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, just a Just a good... IPA. It's just, uh, it's kind of a little bit of a fruity taste to it, but, uh, you know, not super. And, um, yeah, yeah I've, I'm sure you've heard of it because it's pretty standard. It's a very, good beer. It's, it's a good standby good. beer. Very, very nice. Uh, let's set up Ethan's beer again. Okay. So <laughs> here we go. You thinking about this for a second? You're at the racetrack. It's, no, no, it's a Friday night. All right. Oh, okay. You, you okay. just got done with a long, hard week working construction. All right. You just put those those trusses together for that for that new building that's going up. Mm-hmm. You get to your local bar, right? 
And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, all your friends are there. The music's playing soft in the background. You're hearing John Party singing to you. And it's like, man, what could I go for right now? What's easy on the mouth and easy on the butthole of the mouth? <laughs> Bud Light. Bud Light, of baby. Is. Bud <laughs> The simplest Light. of what the else beers. Be? Uh, <laughs> what else could it have been? Why would I ever pick anything else? <laughs> you're true to who you are, and I really love that about uh, you. Oh, yeah. You're I yourself am true first. to my genetics. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Uh, uh, well, tell us about it. Tell us about the yeah, flavor profile. You know, it's... It's always brewed using the choicest uh, hops, best barley, malt, and rice. And, you know, it's made by Anheuser-Busch. It's, you know, that's pretty local, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know where the hell it's made. Where's Where's this stuff made at? Uh, uh, Missouri. Uh, yeah, sure. Is it? Isn't, An- isn't Anhe- Anhe- Anheuser-Busch out of Missouri? Yep, St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you. Bam! Thank you. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Pretty cool. 25 they, but fluid they- ounces. Wow. Oh, good to know. Wow. <laughs> that is what we wanted to know about the beer. <laughs> Ethan goes for quantity over quality. and I'm all God about bless quantity. <laughs> Cheap quantity. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Ethan, Ethan's drinking the, the working man's beer. Um, so, yeah, we just uh, – so that's what we're drinking. If you, if you feel the urge to send us something and have us review it, we will do that. We will definitely do if that's that. That's what you want to do, um, do it. Yeah. The other thing we want to say – Go and like us and review us on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. The more that you uh, review us and basically tell people about us, the more publicity we'll see and, like, we can get ad sponsors that way and everything. So, I mean, that'll just help us get seen more. We want to do this full time, and so we will need your help, you know. And, and yeah, so please go and do those things. Just take a minute and give us five stars if that's what you feel. Give us two stars if that's what you feel. Give us what you really feel, but... Do we you don't, we'd love it. Yeah, we don't we'd want love to we don't want you guys to sugarcoat this. Be harsh yeah, on yeah. us. Um, yeah. So uh, I think we're gonna wrap it up there. This is the last episode before Christmas. So oh. we we would love for you guys to have a very Merry Christmas. I'm gonna say happy holidays because um, um, Happy Holidays. God. I'm putting the Christ back in Christmas. <laughs> we're taking it back. I don't know about Merry you. <laughs> um, I don't care about the presents. <laughs> <laughs> so have a, have a great Christmas. Christmas have a happy new year we'll talk to you right away in 2020 um, so quick thanks for thanks for listening to us and thanks for just you know thanks for enjoying yeah, us best Christmas enough gift to listen a bunch through. of guys could have exactly yeah so we'll talk People to you next time to Austin why don't you take us out on a song you mistake it for a play of pimp I've been nipping the few slugs I don't work with my mind Love me like they love pop, but I let New York niggas to tell you I'm